everyone and welcome back to another episode of Relative Pitch. We are so excited for y'all to be here and we're so excited for today's guest. Um, please help me um, welcome Mr. Kenrick Wagner. He is the Director of Contemporary Commercial Music at the University of South Florida. He is amazing. So everybody give your hand claps to Mr. Wagner. Hello, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. Thank you all for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So first- question for oh, yeah. sorry how many how often does is is like do you get wagner <laughs> the question of like your last name being wagner that's a i, I just <laughs> thought about that i think the last time that i was um uh, that they, they used that as a pun for my name was when i was playing concert band back in like middle school i was a saxophonist and yeah i used they used to drop that <laughs> now, now I get now I get Kendrick Lamar, you know. Ah, okay. <laughs> he is silent though. The D is silent though. Oh Lord have mercy. So tell us, <laughs> I mean, you I did not know you were a saxophone player. So tell us a little bit about your, your background and how you got to where you are today. Absolutely. So um, you know, I was I was born in LA, um, grew up in Queens, New York. Um, and I got involved in music when I entered middle school. Um, at first I was a little like a visual artist. I, I love to draw. That was my thing. When I went to the after school, not after school, when I got into, uh, middle school, which was the Leonardo da Vinci school in Corona, Queens, um, they had three programs to offer. So there was chorus, there was visual arts and there was band. Right. So of course I'm like, all right, cool. I want to get into, um, visual arts. I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a good drawer, you know, you're a kid you're like, I could draw stomach muscles. I'm, I could draw. Um, but that program was awful. And then I said, all right, I'm gonna take my shot at chorus. You know, um, that program was full. Uh -oh. So they was like, well, we're going to have your special is going to be banned. So when I went into band, I picked up an alto saxophone, um, and then I danced between alto, tenor, and baritone. I think my last was a baritone. Um, and, you know, my thing was I was always fascinated by, um, like, Charlie Parker. I started to kind of identify myself with, with the, you know, the cutting edge people that, you know, uh, artists play, pay homage to. So started playing a lot of that. Um, I ended up going into, like, the, um, the second... Uh, most decorated high school for music, which is Bayside High School, um, and played in their band. Um, what I found when I was playing it was a, I kind of was in a, we didn't have much of a jazz band. So, so we was in concert band and then, you know, jazz band was kind of like, oh, well, if you want to come first period, which first period was like an hour before school started and you could only, you know, study in jazz band for like 45 minutes. It wasn't like a full period, like 40, 45 minutes. Um, but, you know, I, my thing was jazz, 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 jazz. Um, unfortunately, but fortunately, I kind of discovered that I was going to pivot and shift into, um, you know, hip hop and production. It, it was really because of uh, my conductors. You know, I got kind of fatigued with just playing a lot of this old, I guess you want to say Western European um, music, Vivaldi and so on and so forth. And I was just like always fascinated with trying to play um, samples that were used in hip hop. So I used to play like Pete Rock. And you know that little five minutes before band starts where everybody just goes off crazy in their chair and everything. 
I would I would go and I'd go straight to like trying to play peat rock. And then I, I figured I was like, you know, um, I love my instrument, but, you know, I do see myself more into, um, you know, gravitating more towards, the, you know, popular music and what I could do for that. Um, so fast forward, fast forward out of high school, didn't go to college right away, was working single parent home, um, you know, you know, the whole struggle thing. And um I think the biggest shift in my life happened was when my sister passed away. So I was 20 years old. My sister was 23. She had um, a panic attack that led to a brain aneurysm that led to a heart failure. Um, and this happened within about a week's time. Um, and when that happened, I um, it was very hard for me. So like it's kind of like time stopped. And in my mind, I was like, you know, I need to see the world beyond Queens. Like I needed to see that there's more to this world. So my only outlet to do that was to apply to work at a summer camp that was in upstate New York. So I was like, all right, cool. You know, let me just at least get away. And my mom was cool with it. So um, it was from that moment that I knew that I would be involved with youth development for the entire, like the entirety of my life. Um, the moment I stepped on onto a campground and just saw all of these kids coming from all of these different neighborhoods, Black and brown from the Bronx, uptown, Brooklyn. I mean, you know, you, you, I mean, I guess respectfully, we all know the vibes of where we live and where that's from and what that brings. Yeah. Um, but that that pretty much that kind of like pivoted my life. So I was like, youth development is something that I'm, I know I'm going to do. So from there, I went into to working in after school programs, directing after school programs, management, training. Um, and then the big music shifts, the music came back into my life when I worked for an organization called Little Kids Rock. So Little Kids Rock is um, an organization that kind of champions popular music for young people. Um, and I was hired as the, the hip hop curriculum specialist or modern band content specialist. So um, I got to test my pen a little bit on how I could like write and develop programs and stuff. And it, it got taken to very well. Started to go from state to state, teaching a lot of grad students and teachers and music ed people about how you can kind of incorporate a lot of the concepts of hip hop to make a more inclusive classroom culture. It's not just about the music, it's the culture, it's the relevance, it's the concepts um, that you can teach around. Even if you're teaching concert band, you can use some of these elements and pedagogies to be successful and more relevant in your classroom. Um, so from there, um, I was there for two years decided after two years that um, as much as I loved everything that I was doing there, that um, it just didn't seem that everything about the organization reflected my, my personal mission as far as like engaging youth and teaching the youth. Um, and I, there's things that I feel strongly about. We could get into that a little bit later, but um, I knew that there was going to be a shift. So what I did was I left the organization. Uh, long story short, I, I started an organization or a company called Project Game Time. And what we would do is we would do trainings for staff, but we was also doing hip hop education as well. I started what's called a rap academy. We would go to high, I would go to high schools. I would teach kids how to, and I wouldn't really even teach. I, I like to call myself a coach because I feel like it's more, my role is more to draw out what they already have within them 
and inspire them and ask them the uh, the right questions that helps them solve their own issues. I want to inspire to think and shift culture by like using your own talent. So um, I did, uh, you know, some rap academy stuff in Newark, New Jersey. It was it was very successful until the pandemic hit and everybody's funding went. Right. Um, but it was fine. Uh, we were still, I mean, Project Game Time, which is still active today. We still were doing a lot of great stuff. And then I got a random email. Uh, I got a random email for, from a dean at USF that said, I spoke to such and such and said that, you know, every, told me that anything you you want to do, you know, hip hop and groundbreaking, this is the guy. He's the guy. And I got invited for um, an interview and the rest was history. Like, first of all, just the, growing up, because we were all in band as well, and that was the thing that um, always kind of struck me was that it always seemed there was a disconnect between the music that I listened to, that I grew up on, that, you know, we sit in the backseat of our parents' car on the way to something, we hear hip-hop, we hear R&B, but then when we go into a classroom, where is that music, you know, represented? Even when they, they would play popular tunes, they would never play our popular music. Um, so I totally feel you um, on that. And I'm just glad that um, you have really, you know, been that change to bring it to, because there's a lot of teachers and I would like to be in that class too, to really learn how to really, you know, change the culture of a band room because it, it is what all of our kids are listening to nowadays. So we have to embrace that culture um, there. Um, I do have a question for you. Uh, can you just talk about the importance of after-school culture? Um, I think we don't talk about after-school programs like that. And it really had an influence on you. So talk a little bit about that. Absolutely. Um, well, we could we we can just go from a standpoint of what's happening, what what happens to youth between the hours of three and six, like when they're getting out of school and how um I'm I'm not sure about across the nation, but I'm pretty sure in, in New York, um, DC and New Jersey, those are like peak hours for crime. Uh, amongst teens um, and younger adults. So number one, it's it's a safe space. Um, and there's something special about the uh, the idea that like after school is a place where you, you can learn, but you're also in a space that's not so intense. Um, your learning is a little more, it, it's fun. And, you know, there's ways that, you know, people, you know, I don't get caught up in a lot of language that, that people use, you know, um, but at the end of the day, it's it's a it's a safe place for people to kind of just build positive relationships um, and learn while having fun. And not it's not an intentional like we're going to mask this so that you don't believe it. It's just no, we're just going to create this space. that would allow you to be you. And I think that after the school culture is necessary because it balances school culture. You know, when you have school is very intense, you know, um, it's about numbers. It's about, you know, state exams. It's about the pressure of being able to make certain um, uh you know, benchmarks and so on and so forth. And after school is a place where you're not so much as a young person, you're not so much worried about that. And I think after school culture is important because 
it's a community within a community. It's a place where student student A may build a relationship with student B that they've never had during the school time. Um, so there's something that's special about looking forward to that relationship and looking forward to that, that confidence. Um, and after school, also, when you think about from a hiring standpoint, you know, it's my personal opinion, but I feel like when you when you go to kind of hiring staff for after school programs, you're looking for the closest people to the youth. You know, like you, our staff mentors and group leaders are like maybe only like four or five years older than the youth themselves. You know, and that is a great way to transition that relatability from one to the other and to look at, you know, those things as leadership. And there's things that after school can do that you probably not in all schools you couldn't do during a school day. Right. Musically, creatively, language wise. And I see a lot of um, I see a lot of after school concepts kind of filtering into like charter school models on the east coast in a way where it's more like you know you have your you know you have your pillars and then you kind of like build these rituals and i think after school is just always um just important for that reason it's going to keep the balance it's going to keep educators on their toes about being innovative and responsive to the culture that we are we deal with on a year-to-year basis I completely agree. And I think when they choose to participate in the after school, it's something they choose to do. We have to go to school. It is mandated by the government. You have to go to school for X amount of hours for X amount of years. Mm -hmm. And when they choose to do something after school, it's their choice. They feel like they have ownership of that. So they like, that's their time to just relinquish all baggage. Mm -hmm. Like I have to meet this expectation because my parent will beat my butt when I get home when they see that B. But when I go here, I'm with my friends and right. we're hanging, we're chilling, we're doing different things. And I, I think that's a big thing is like they get ownership of that where they don't have ownership earlier in the day for a majority of their day for the majority of their lives. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to transition into young adulthood and adulthood when we were never control of our lives until college. And that's, that's right. the first times we gain control because over the summer, what you going to do? Whatever mm-hmm. your parents tell you. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's like the first time we get the control is after school if you have that around you but if you don't mm-hmm. you have to wait till you're the freshman year in college and you're just like sure. i get to choose this i'm gonna choose not right. to go to class because i'm done with this <laughs> right 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 it's like you work your whole life just for to have choice now <laughs> yep. your whole life just for choice it's like you was born into a structure and now Finally, the fi- like the final destination is to be somewhere where you have choice. So absolutely, um, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I I want to touch on something. This is something that we talk about pretty often here. Mm-hmm. Um, that we actually also talked about last week, I believe, on our last episode, which is ageism and this idea that like a certain uh, you have to hit a certain like honestly age requirement to be taken seriously in a lot of spaces. And you touched on something that I really love that you would purposely bring in coaches and mentors who are not even that far removed from being in those programs themselves to be there with those kids. And I think that's so beautiful and it makes the most sense, right? Like for me, when I was a student in undergrad, I know it was super cool to be able to talk to 
uh, like upperclassmen undergrads who are still there or people who had just graduated people who are very close to where i was like was just starting because mm -hmm. first of all it makes the most sense right they just went through this so they know right. about what the program is gonna like require mm -hmm. and what's gonna require of us being, mm -hmm. because they were just doing that right versus someone who is 50 30 you know 40 years removed from that situation and you're like you have no idea what's going on in these classrooms now right, right. and so I, I just wanted to talk on that a little bit more and also ask you if you've also seen some of those things that like the effects of ageism within like certain aspects of your industry um, mm -hmm. and how you have combated that um so kind of I don't want to say a, a, like a hard guess, but I would say that I'll, I'll give you an example. So I um, I had an after school program that I started in, in Brooklyn at one of the charter schools um, in Bed-Stuy. And, um, you know, I would have we would start by hiring like college sophomores to work the program. Um, but what was hard is like you know, college sophomores have kind of an intense schedule. It's hard to get them on a Monday through Friday. So I'm thinking of ways to innovate, I decided, all right, we're going to hire high school seniors, right? 17 to 18, totally fine. Let's get y'all in here. Let's get y'all acclimated. Let's get you understanding what the workforce is like and being in an in a, in a after-school environment. And I do know like the first, it was tough maybe the first few months on on the um and we called them i called them rising group leaders right so like you're, you're you're on the way and what i would do is assign them with a mentor that was a couple years older than them and this way we could kind of like the closer we could get right and it transitioned them but um i'm not gonna hold you up like there was there was in the first couple months there was just like Oh, you got these youngins in here and they don't understand how to, um, you know, they, they, they don't understand how to carry themselves when they walk into the building and so on and so forth. And so that became a little bit of a thing. And even my director, like she she would, you know, call me and, and give me reports about certain things. And I'm like, I, I, I respect that and I understand that. But what I do want you to understand is like this is the work. The work is how do we, you know, how do we take these young people and develop them, right? So do we just, are we so quick now to just block them out or to push them away because now they're not, uh, they, you're expecting them to be a full-blown adults? Do they have rent? Do they pay, you know what I'm saying? Like, how exactly do you expect? this to happen this is a process and i think that in, in, in teaching coaching development education as a whole what i see is a lot of us and i've been there before we we can sometimes get a lot of caught get caught up into what we traditionally are used to and kind of have this um i expect everyone to come in in that model it is a very hard thing to step back and to say, what can I do to help this situation? Hip hop, in a sense as well. Um, 
how do I how do I be authentic? I get this from a lot of you know teachers. How do I how do I be authentic? And I, you know, I want to show respect to the to the culture and so like, yeah, I get that. That's cool. Um, what what have you have you studied? Have you researched it? Have you listened to it? Have you diversified yourself? You know, all I hear is all I hear is cursing and defiling women. What are you what are you listening for? Is the real question. Is that what you're listening for? Because you can't tell me that there's not a song in hip hop or in any other genre that has these same concepts and feelings. And what are feelings, right? We all identify, we all own them, we all are in our bucket in our in our place, right? So, like what it's 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 what your ears are drawn to and why. So sometimes you have to be able to step back, and that is the hard work. And I'll say something about about this podcast that has made me want to step back and do more research and learn. I forget the name of the guest you had, but the guest was talking about the trans artists um, that in hip hop, there was some trans Dr. artists. Care. Dr. Care. Dr. Dr. Care. Dr. Care. Yeah. That, that, was a really, that was a great, great. And it made me say, I need to find, I need to research this. And I, you know, my thing is now, I, you know, I shift, I've shifted my way of thinking. And I hope that I, that's what I really hope to do as an educator is help people learn how to say instead of, you know, I don't know that. So I don't want to touch that to say, oh, that's dope. Let me, let me do the research or, oh, let me write the name of that artist down. Let me write the name yeah, of that artist down. Yeah. It's like a plug that artist in YouTube and learn something in, in like under 10 minutes. This is right. Exciting. Yeah. So that, that is, that is, the, that is the big deal. And I know I kind of went off on a tangent after no, these. Told my agent. I'm like, I'm hoping to communicate that the concept is just the same. It's like yeah. the hard work is, is really the, the research and is really the separation of, of oneself and own motives from what, the actual goal is educate, inspire, and elevate, right? Yes. yes. Um, you know, I think uh, something that you said, um, uh, I had some people, um, because I'm the music teacher on campus, they asked me what were my thoughts of the halftime show, um, the NFL mm -hmm. halftime show, which was, you know, hip hop to the max, you know, especially, you know, West Coast hip hop. Um, and I said, it was amazing. I was like, this is what I grew up on. This is the music that I listened to. And one of them were like, well, it's not the music. I, I don't even know what they were saying. Did you take time to listen to what they were saying? Because to me, you didn't. You, you really didn't. Um, if, that, if that's the first thing that you had to say. Um, so I love the fact that you said, how about you step back and first do the research, do the research. And I think a lot of people will dismiss something because they're not familiar with it. Um, both as teachers and as teachers, we're supposed to be, isn't our biggest job to expose students to different ways. But if we can't even expose ourselves to something new, how do we expect our students to? Um, right. So I, I love that, that um, you yeah. said that and doing that research for that. I, I yeah, I I got to Western, and she she's a huge uh, hip hop scholar, um, and that's what she's done most of her work in. And I never mm -hmm. even thought of taking a class about hip hop mm -hmm. or about anything like it. 
and she's out here writing a book. She exposes to another person, Dr. Regina Bradley, who's at Kennesaw State, who's mm-hmm. like the foremost outcast scholar right now. Like wow. she's out here writing forwards and books and it's like Dr. Care's releasing her book this year or this is year. Yeah, it's a the queer oh, the queer lenses of hip hop or something like that. Oh. Great, like and she's trying to make it open access so anybody can access it. Mm-hmm. And so like she is she was she truly opened my eyes when I got here, like, oh, I don't have to study Wagner, Vivaldi, and Mahler anymore. <laughs> I can study like Outcast, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg. Like, I can mm-hmm. do that and be still be respected like it's like some of these people are like if you don't know all of mozart's symphonies i don't want to talk to you well i don't (laughs) want to talk to you if you don't know the current lingo or the current like thing that's happening with your students in your future ensembles so yeah that's a that was i like the way you said that i'm here for it 100 percent and so when you go and you teach either teachers or students the hip hop um, pedagogy, how, how, do you, how do you go about that? Especially for some of our listeners who are teachers that want to um, kind of, you know, put hip hop in their class or really just kind of bring the current culture to their class. How do you really go about talking about that? Mm-hmm. So, um what I found is like a lot of the things that I've been teaching, uh, even on on higher ed level, is totally scalable to even the elementary school and elementary teacher because concepts are to me. I don't know. I don't see them as so far out of reach. Depending on age, it's just about the it's just about how you can access it and and where you kind of meet these people where they where they are and 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 up and downgrade them but one of the things that i i do first in all my music classes is i start with a, a music a music maker community agreement so what that basically is is saying like all right well while we're in this space let's understand um and let's collaborate I, I struggle with some words. This is one of them. Collaboratively. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I Method Man, when he was in belly, he was tripping over his words. Uh, but um, so I like to collaborate and and and, and we we design uh, an agreement that says, all right, as a part of this music making community, these are the things that we're going to do to make sure that we feel safe in this space, that we're respectful in this space, that we're responsible in this space as well. Um, and these are the ways we're going to have fun. So what I do is I bring in like all my students who circle up and I'm telling you, I, I even do this in, um, in my current classes in my hip hop coaches class over at USF. And I say, all right, what are ways we're going to be safe? And I let them just, Give me some some words like musically. How do we be safe? Make sure we're not offending everyone. Um, uh, all music is good music to somebody, so we're gonna be respectful. Don't yuck my yum, so on and so forth. So I try to set the standard by first making sure that everybody is incorporated into the process of an agreement. It's not just coming from me to you. It's centered around you and what you feel this space should be. Now, me as a coach, I'm always going to guide it and give you language that can help you see that from a more broad sense. Um, And then from there, what I like to do is I'm a big like I I touch on hip hop history, um, but I like to also access other genres of music through the sampling process. 
So I do introduce loops and sounds in all of my classes, kind of like a foundation of like, oh, um, you know, let's listen to uh, to Juice World. Let's listen to um, his uh, Juice World's last song, "Rest in Peace, Juice World." He sampled Sting. Um, that's not the shape, the shape of my heart, right? So he he um, he, he sampled that. And, and now let's transition it. And now also let's use not only the loops and the sounds, but let's also look at composition and writing concepts, right? So like in hip hop and rap, there's a concept that we call the scheming, which is basically like word association, right? The apple of my eye is the pear of my heart, whatever you want to say, like you're using this string along by using a common denominator, right? And I also identify those writing concepts in pop music from our history and translate it and show it. Like if we was to listen to the uh, Shape of My Heart by Sting right now, you would know that his entire chorus is a scheme about a deck of cards, right? Yeah. Next time you, you get a chance and, and jump on it, you'll see that he uses, he uses four lines and, and he's talking about war and he's talking about the spades being the weapons. And he's saying like, um, they're fighting over diamonds, and he's like, it's not the shape of my heart. So he's using all of the suits wow. of the deck of cards. And I, right, if, you, if you're a music nerd like me, and, and you listen to writing, I'm yeah. like, I thought scheming was, was like an advanced rap thing, and I'm like listening to Sting, and I'm like, he's going off yeah, on, this, yeah. on this chorus. So I kind of like use those concepts as light bulbs for students to understand that like you can... As relevant as what you're listening to today, I could bounce you back and forth. I could bounce you to the 90s. I could, I could bounce you to the 80s and show you a lot of things. I could also um, nerd out on, on cadences, on how <clears throat> vanilla ice, 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 baby. Remember that? Mm -hmm. uh, that The cadence that he used was replicated by Fabulous in his song in 2003, um, Holler Back Youngin. Oh, right. It's the same thing as Vanilla Ice. So yeah. I love to use these these small pockets of concepts to relate it. So when people or when my students understand it from that connection, it's easier for them to digest. Now, when I'm when I'm dealing with maybe even older um teachers like our 50 plus teachers yeah. who are like i don't even get this what i what i'll do is i'll translate cadences in standard notation because rap is actually it's percussive articulation right so what i'll do is i'll say okay you you you, you sure you're not sure that hip-hop is music okay now listen to this cadence right now i want you to take your palms and use them as snare drums and try to replicate that cadence while they're rapping it's a little too complex for you to follow right yes and that's from i'm talking about from the hip-hop the hippie i had from from that and they couldn't even go hip you hear me? So I want you to understand <laughs> that these are very powerful musical concepts, yes, but what are. you're listening for is the reason why you don't get it. Mm. My job as an educator is to do the research, 
and to make it digest so that now I could pivot the way you think and, I, and how you listen. So now there's a respect there. Yeah, I when you were talking about that, I felt like I was back in form and analysis, but a way cooler version of form and analysis. <laughs> so like, mm. like, basically, like we took the, I, I, I don't know, Anthony, if you were in that class with me and Michael, but it was like over the summer, we took it with <laughs> shout out Dr. Wadsworth. We love you still. But like um, the class, sometimes I found my brain going like, like I just was like stuck because I was like, what in the world is going? But it was this, the same concept of like figuring out what what the cadence is and all this and like figuring out like what is this mode or what is this the form of this piece and da 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 mm -hmm. and the biggest thing that you just said which was exactly what i think a lot of people are trying to push for now is that they're not that different when you mm -hmm. look at them that way if you look at them from if you're going into it looking for similarities between mm -hmm. a mozart symphony and like a dr dre song like that's the difference because usually it's like oh these are two completely just different mm -hmm. ideas they don't have any of the same like formats or concepts that they use when creating the music yes they do right. but you the the thing that you said is like looking for that is what is the difference if you're looking for only one thing that you think that you know rap or hip-hop as right. then you're not going to find those similarities exactly and my, and my job is to draw it out is to like make it so apparent that you can't deny it exactly that's true i mean and lauren uh excuse me um, Mozart was a prodigy, so you're gonna get attacked for on this podcast now. Because he was a prodigy. How how dare you compare him to Dr. Dre? As some people would say, that I ooh, I'm so mad. But no, one thing I just we I, we talked about this like at we went and presented at GMEA like our uh, mini uh, podcast live kind of thing, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and we are reading these um, presentations that are happening. There's some on um, hip hop. There's some on teaching. Uh, what was what was the one Anthony called? Um, oh, uh, teaching oh, black students from a white woman's perspective. Something like, like there's that. some of these. <laughs> there's some of these. Hey, thanks. But the funny thing is, these people have like they don't have what it like not what it takes to present on this, but not the authentic. Like we saw, like I think Anthony saw it at FMEA, and we might have saw one at GMEA about hip hop. And mm -hmm. it's not people like you who have broken this down and can relate. Like, you just related stuff to Sting. Yeah. And I'm over here like, bro, Sting sung madrigals at one point. <laughs> no. Like, but, like, they're not like you. They're not breaking it down like that where you can right. literally teach a elementary music teacher. Hey, mm -hmm. you can teach this to the youth of the youth. Mm -hmm. And, hey, you college professor, you mm -hmm. can apply this. And mm -hmm. that's why, like, people, like, you and other scholars and other professors like in your field should be here at these tables right. but people are taking it away from people because they feel like they have the right and they're going to continue to mislead and miseducate people mm -hmm. throughout the next generation but yeah. they won't make connections like you just did that made all three of us go holy shit <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Yeah. Like, and I, just, I just had to go on that tangent but also, like, one thing, so also at GMEA, and for anybody listening, if you want to take a listen to our GMEA um, presentation, um, we had um, one of our panelists, Wilson Gustama, um, he actually brung up, like, all right, you want to teach a lesson on triplets? Well, take a take this rap song where there's triplets going on. They're rapping in triplets. Look, there's that rhythm that, you know, your students are having a hard time doing it, but I'm pretty sure they're listening to this on the radio and they don't even know they're doing it right now. Mm -hmm. So take mm -hmm. that 
is something. But again, like you said, if somebody wants to listen to that same song and then listen for, oh, this is terrible, and they go in with that mindset, they've automatically they've lost a teaching tool. Instead of saying, hmm, yeah. I wonder what can I get out of this that might relate this back to my students so it's make it easier um and mm-hmm. also another thing that you said sampling let me just say that's honestly why i fell in love with hip-hop probably the most is because mm. of the samples that was yeah. really thing so like uh honestly i think so michael lauren had came um down to orlando and I, first of all i've always loved the song um but it's Kendrick Lamar's Bitch Don't Come My Bike, okay? I remember when it first came out and I was like, I really love this song. And I was like, I wonder why I really love this song. Mm-hmm. And it's the sample, the, the sample that, it, and then it's from Germany and it's in German. And I'm like, what in the world? I listen to this German song. I have no idea what this lady is saying. However, I am listening to it on repeat because like it exposes me to different things. Um, let me see. There's uh they reminisce over you. Um is that is that Pete Rock? It's, That's Pete Rock and CEO. Yeah, yeah. And the sample, first of all, it's been over and over many people. And I'm anytime I hear it, I'm like, yep, that's like that's it. And I remember researching. So that was like my first love of hip hop is like, where are they getting these samples and where are they finding this music? But people mm-hmm. have to be ready to like learn it that way. Like you never know. Right. Um, and if I hear anybody try to discredit hip hop producers or rap artists. I'm like, y'all don't know what y'all are talking about. First of all, like number one, not only the talent level, but they do a lot of research. For you to find a jazz album from 1976 that if nobody has heard before, use a little part of that and then make it a whole different song, you got to do some hell of a research yeah. to find stuff like this. Like you have to. So whenever I hear it, I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're talking about. And now that you're in higher ed, um, have you kind of... Um, been witness to where people might look at like your title and what you were doing as less than let's say classical studies or have you had to deal with that at any point of your career uh that's a great question um i'd say this is my my kind of thought on on, on my title to begin with i'm glad you said that so i this is my per. I personally feel like my title is my title because it's a safe way to say, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> to say, oh, Professor Hip Hop. No, 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 no. We're not doing that, right? Yeah. That's what they want. My focus. It's very clear. This is what your focus is. Yeah. But we're going to use commercial and contemporary because this is kind of the comfortable media. Yeah. This is edge it. Okay, that's cool. I'm like, that's cool because my mission is to educate and elevate. So I could I could take that on. I could fight that fight another day. Fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that nothing, nothing blatant has come out as far as like the stand, but you you do have the uh you do have the subs, you do have the kind of like, yeah, you know, but this isn't, you know. I suggest you, mm. I'm not sure if you use that, that that would, you have those type of things, yeah. right? Yeah. Where it's just like, and and some of it to me just comes from 
going back to what we were saying about the ages, I think a little bit too. Because when you have kind of, you know, they've been here and they look at the new, the new person, the, the new energy, the new flavor, the new concept, it, it, it gets viewed as a threat in the beginning. It's like, all right, who is this? You know what I'm saying? This person going to come in and take my jazz ensemble away? Who is this guy? Right? Yeah. But this is, to me, it's all cerebral, too. And it's, it's never, it'll never come out on the surface. Nobody's going to, like, approach it like that. So um, I, I see it, um, I, you know, and I witness it, you know, email here, email there, conversation here, conversation there. And, you know, what, what has made me successful and continue to make me successful is just the way that I navigate things. I play chess a little bit as far as this is concerned. And I, I don't get too caught up into it and understand when I have to bring a fight, when it's necessary and when it's not, um, and taking these wins. So, um, yeah, in short, I would say, yeah, in a, a little something. But I, I don't think that I have um, – I, I think that as this position expands, um, as the once the undergrad program actually launches next year, and if it gets – some tension attention yeah. that's when the smoke is going to come and that's what i'm always going to be ready for so um for the time being it's about you know being this new guy and, and understanding that that's just kind of the way things are when you first come into a space with this new energy like this so i have a question you answered it kind of already because i was going <laughs> to ask it like reading your bio really quick it's like uh, it says you're designing, building, and promotion of recruitment students for the contemporary commercial music. I will add real quick when I read uh, director of contemporary commercial music, I was like, oh, they think they're clever with words. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, the, okay. I will say that when I read it real quick. But so the undergraduate program is going to launch hopefully next year, you said. Mm -hmm. In that, when you have students, do they have a, let's say, Western classical requirement within your degree? Like if they, they don't, okay, that's cool. I like that because yeah. usually if you see that, if you see this kind of degree, like the minute mm -hmm. I saw that, I was like, okay, they're probably going to be in classical lessons for at least two years mm -hmm. and then they can start getting into their degree. But with your program, they're getting into their degree right away. No, right. no, do they have the, and they do have the opportunity if they want to, to participate in some of the Western classical art. Yeah, like we, I, I believe it's about like two, yeah, about 12 credits of electives they could take, 12 to 15. Okay, perfect. Electives, that's that's really cool. That's going to be a cool program. I can't wait till I launch mm -hmm. and I want to look at like all the classes they take. I might go get me another undergrad. We'll see. Right. <laughs> <laughs> another degree. I mean, like, there's not a lot of programs like this. I mean, mm -hmm. when. I think there's one at Belmont because they're usually, but I think there's lean towards like commercial, com like truly commercial, like country music or something. Mm -hmm. um, I, maybe Berkeley has something like this. Yeah, Berkeley has a little something. Yeah, but mm -hmm. this right here, and like you're in the South, you know, like wow. you're in <laughs> Tampa. I mean, there are, I mean, we are originally from the Atlanta area. We, I know there's a lot of artists um, who went through classical music education, but we are like, we knew 
they wanted to do something not dealing with classical music. I will never forget, there was a vocalist that went to school with me and she really wanted to do, you know, R&B and learn that. And, mm -hmm. but of course you have to sing this aria from this opera. And it's like, I don't, I, I don't really want to. So I'm glad <laughs> that this is coming, you know, this yeah. is something new. And I will have to say, even though they try to give it digestible titles, we can mm -hmm. read through digestible titles exactly, and we can see what's going on. So I'm so glad that you were you were there and you were doing uh, the work there. I can't wait to hear everything. Um, I also before before we leave, I just want to give some time for you to kind of give a little explanation of um, Project Game Time, your your um, LLC, um, and really just shout it out because I think it's like such a great thing that you were doing. I appreciate it. So Project Game Time LLC at Project Game Time, one word, on all yeah. social media. Um, we're an organization that we just want to build safe places for people. Um, and we do that through the platform of, of after-school programs, through the platform of training people who work with young people, um, and also using relevant pop culture as a platform to educate young people. Our three key words are engage, build, and empower, right? So the first step is always to engage the people. And that's where the pop comes in a lot. Um, and then we want to build the people, right? Where your skills meet you where you're at, get you to be a better human being in the space that you're in. Um, and then empower you to be able to replicate it because true sustainability of safety of community is to be able to step back from a situation and the people that were coaching, that you were coaching under you, around you, or growing up around you, they can now coach others. Um, we are operating currently in uh, Brooklyn, Brooklyn, Manhattan, both in New York, um, do we have any Maryland programs? No, no Maryland programs. We are in Pennsylvania as well. So the way our program works is we have, we have both after-school programs and then we also do training. Um, so the after-school programs, you know, typical three to six with young people, the training programs, we usually train, we train teachers and staff that are in the schools and we teach them about, uh, what we call restorative culture. Right. So like, how do we build and restore positive relationships in schools? How do I teach a teacher to not just teach, but how do I coach them on how to just build a safe space? Um, we are trying to to build programs down here in Florida right now as well. Um, now that I'm down here, it's time. We got to run it. Um, so see what happens. I think as a Florida who's been teaching here for a couple of years now, I think that would be a fantastic program. I know that I will be speaking about it to any Florida principal or whoever that listens to me. I'm gonna be like, y'all need to get this. It's appreciate now. Um, it has absolutely been a pleasure having you on this episode. The amount of knowledge that you have given us and given our audience. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you. I appreciate all of you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And to the audience, thank you for listening. And we'll have more episodes coming. Have a good day, y'all. Bye. Yeah.